when do you remember? Now, this is not the kind of thing you think about very much, but when do you remember your first encounter with the devil? Now, you just stop and think about that a moment. We're always talking about God. There is a devil. The Bible teaches that very clearly. Like, do you remember back in life somewhere where you had your first realization, first encounter with the devil? Well, you'd need all the service probably to go back that far, but as I was thinking about that in preparation of the sermon, I thought, I know exactly when I had my first encounter with the devil. And I want to share it with you. I was about four or five years of age. At that time in my life, I lived much of the time at my grandparents. And that was in Athens, Georgia. And they had a big, uh, what you would call, southern home. And they had the kitchen. And right off from the kitchen, there was another room called a pantry. Now, many of you have a pantry in your house, but not many would have a pantry like they had in those days. Like this was an actual room. And so if my grandmother's in the kitchen and she wants to go get some things that she needs to prepare meals, she would kind of walk out of the kitchen and you'd walk in this little hallway like, and, and here was a door. And if you open the door, there was a room. And that was called the pantry. And it's the only thing that I remember my grandmother telling me as a boy, four or five years old, that I could not do. She said to me, she called me Charles Jr. because my dad was Charles Sr. She said, Charles Jr., you're never, ever, ever to go into the pantry. Now, I'm four or five years of age. Now that's like throwing raw meat to a dog. She said, now, if you, if you open the door of the pantry, the devil is in that room, and he will get you. She put not the fear of God in me. She put the fear of the devil in me. Well, you know, that, that frightened me in a way. I, and I always wanted to check that out. But my grandmother stayed in the kitchen a lot. This was before DoDash, DoorDash, you know, all that. You actually had to cook the food, prepare the meals. Well, one day, I really, I can still remember, she was somewhere else in the house, and I thought, I'm just going to, I'm not about to go in that room, but I'm going to, she's not here. I'm going to just kind of crack the door and see what the deal is on the other side of that door. And I still, as I'm telling the story, I can still remember the feeling I had. And, and, and I cracked the door open and I looked straight ahead and on a shelf straight ahead, there was a, a can of Red Devil Lie soap. And on the front of that can, there was a picture of the devil. And he had horns, and he had a pitchfork. And like, when you open the door, she had put that can. She figured I would do this. 
And when I saw that, I slammed the door back and I thought, man, I just thought, there he is. My grandmother was right. Now, we'll have to fast forward. I'm a long way from four or five years of age. But let me say this. That's the first encounter that I had. Now, I'm not going to share her testimony, but I asked Dottie this question last week, and at some appropriate time, and this is not it, I, I, she shared with me her first encounter with the devil. It's very, that story is quite a story. And uh, I interpreted how, I made interpretations of that story, which made that story even better story than ever. But I wish that I could stand here and say to you folks, fear not. Over in Athens, Georgia, they've got the devil in the pastor's grandmother's pantry. Because folks, I want to tell you, the devil is not in my grandmother's pantry. The Bible tells us that the devil goes about like a what? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's kind of what I want to talk with you a little bit about this morning. Now, here's, here's my fear. This is how I think God put this in my heart. I was reading my Bible. I was in the book of Hebrews. We'll be there in a moment or two. But I, I thought, you know, I think the Bible says the devil is the God of this world, and he is. I think he's blinded our eyes, and we don't really see what the devil is doing. We see, we see the results of what the devil is doing, but somehow we, we don't seem to see exactly what the devil is doing, his tactics and the way he goes about doing his work. And that's what I want us to see this morning. So if you'll open your Bible first to the book of Ephesians in chapter number six. In Ephesians chapter six, I want to show you a verse that will kind of prepare us for where we're going to go this morning. In Ephesians chapter number six, if you look in verse 12, the Bible says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That is that's like human beings. See, we think, the, we think the battle is with one another. We, we think the battle is with people. No, I'll show you how this works. I'll show you where people fit into it. The Bible says, no, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, let me, I want to read that verse out of the New Living Translation. It's so very clear. It says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, we live in a spiritual war zone. Now, I think maybe on the surface we think, well, that's, a, that's probably a true statement. Well, it's not probably a true statement. It, it is a true statement. And, and what we want to do and what I want to show you in the Bible this morning, Satan has his, his strategy. He has his tactics to work at defeating you and me. And so oftentimes he does, and we are really not even aware of that. You know, a very interesting thing happened, not this past week, but the week previous over at, over at Auburn University. They, they had this event that they called 
uh, Unite Auburn. Unite Auburn. And it was in a weeknight, and they met in some kind of arena. And they brought a good youth singing group called Passion from Atlanta, Georgia to do the music. And they had some special music guests. And then they had this speaker from Waco, Texas. And he came and they just, they had about 5,000 students that showed up for this. And at the end of it, one of the students came forward in a commitment and shared with whoever was leading the service that he wanted to be baptized. Well, they, had, they went in an arena and they didn't have a baptism. And I've been reading about this and you put it up on Google and read it for yourself. Someone said, well, you know, we don't have any way to baptize him here. And I picture this, we've got 5,000 college students all gathered together in a worship service in an arena. They said, but there's a lake right down here, not very far. And they, they went down to the lake and, and like about 200 of these students were baptized interested. It's just an incredible thing. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you how the devil got involved in that. There is an organization called Freedom From Religion Foundation. Now listen to that. I think it's based in Wisconsin. And they have some good liberal lawyers that don't believe in God. And the purpose of this Freedom of Foundation, uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation, they, they oppose anything about God. They cater to the atheists. They cater to the agnostics. So what they did, they had their lawyers <laughs> send a letter to the president of Auburn University saying, you all had this. Now, remember, that's a public school. Okay, it's a state school. And they said, you had state employees at this event, like the head football coach was there. The head basketball coach was there. The head baseball coach was there. Now, th now, these coaches didn't organize the event, but they went to it, they participated, and they even helped some of these students get into the lake to be baptized. And they said, that is unconstitutional, that state employees would be involved in something like that, and we're going to sue. Well, it got to the governor's desk, and I read the governor's response in layman's language. <laughs> well, I just can't say what the governor really said in layman's language. <laughs> but, you know, he just basically said, go ahead and sue. But now think about this. Uh, here are 5,000 college students on their own in a service they didn't have to go to. 200 of them go down to the lake to get baptized. And some of the people that are employed there. In fact, they even said in their, in their, what their letter they were going to sue, that it was unconstitutional for any employee that worked for the state to even attend a religious gathering. Well, folks, you know what we do, and it goes all the way back to Madeline Murray O'Hare. We, we just find us some liberal people and we find us some lawyers, and we get intimidated by all that, and it's like we just kind of fold our tent and give up instead of saying, look, we see what's really happening. What's really happening is what I'm going to show you in the Bible. God, uh, the devil, uses people to accomplish his purpose in what is taking place in life. Now, here's where this gets to you and to me. Listen carefully. When you try to live a godly life, you, you, you try to do what the Bible teaches, 
If God tells you to do something by faith, you say, you know, this may not make sense, but this is what I think God's told me to do. And you're going to step out in faith to do that. There are always going to be people that will, that will almost stand back and sneer at you. They'll stand back and, and, and almost make fun of you. They may not do it in your presence, but when you're in their presence, the pressure that you feel because you've not conformed to the ways of the world that violate what the Word of God teaches, you feel like you are on display. Now, with that little background, I want you to turn over in your Bible to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 10. I want to show you how the writer of the Hebrews explained this to the Jewish believers who were experiencing this very same thing. I'm saying to you, that in this world and where we live, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's really not. And it's not because of the very things I'm going to show you in God's Word this morning. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse, 13, in verse 33, here's, here's what the writer to the Jewish believers had to say to them, and it applies to us. He says, while you were made spectacle." Now, if you'd underline your Bible, that word spectacle. Now, it, different translations translate that uh, in, in, in different ways. Uh, some of the newer translations say, while you're being exposed. If you have the old King James, uh, it, it says uh, gaze in stock, a gaze in stock. But the new King James says, while you were made a spectacle. That word comes from a Hebrew word, theatron, and it's where we get our word theater. And what the writer to the Jewish believers is saying, and oh, how it applies to us, he said, look, while you all are trying to live a, a, a Christian life, I mean, these people had placed their faith and trust in Jesus, but they're having all kind of opposition to that. He said, while you're doing that, you, it, it's like a person in a theater, the spectators are out watching and you're up on the platform in the theater and, and you're kind of on display. And he said, that's exactly how you feel. You feel like you are on display and, and because of that, you're trying to live a godly life and you're going to find people that are not living a godly life and they're going to oppose what you're trying to do. They're going to, it's almost like they're going to stand back and say, when it doesn't work out for you, I told you so. That is the idea. This is where we are. As believers, we are on display. As we go through life and we live out in the world and others know we're believers, they, they, they watch how we act, they watch how we react, they watch what we do, they watch what we say, they listen, they pay attention. And when we don't laugh at some of the stuff they say that is unbecoming of a Christian, or we don't, we don't kind of join in and go the way of the crowd, we, we, we become like on display and we begin to feel that and Satan really jumps on that and does in a wonderful way for him what he does. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, I love that verse in Peter. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's the old King James, a peculiar people. Now, I know we don't like to think of ourselves as being peculiar, but I'll tell you what, 
the way the world's going, if we're trying to live for God, we're going to be a peculiar people. We're not going to be like that. And Satan, he jumps in and he does what he does. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 33, look. It says, while you were made spectacle, theatron, how? By reproaches and tribulations. I wish you'd underline the word first, reproaches. By reproaches. This is one of the ways the devil works. He's the God of this world. Now listen to this. And he uses things in this world to carry out his plan to try to defeat you and to me. And one of those things he uses is people. And sometimes, this is almost unbelievable, he uses people that say they're Christians, and hopefully they are. Satan can use them, and how does he use them? By reproaches. Reproaches refers to insults and accusations hurled at you from people. The God of this world will just find people, and they'll, they'll say things. They'll imply things. And those things could be the farthest thing in the world from the truth, but they can be so damaging in kingdom work, and, and Satan just has a way of always finding people to do it. Now, I've seen this over and over and over and over, how people, you know, people can sometimes be hurt by people. People can sometimes be insulted by people. People can sometimes be betrayed by people. But the enemy is not people. No, the enemy is the devil. And the devil uses people to do those things. I... I'll just quickly share two personal experiences that I've never shared. And I share them to give God glory, not the devil glory, but that relate to me and this very church. I remember I had not been to this church very long when it got told by some that when I dealt with the pulpit committee of this church, that I said to them, when I come to First Baptist Pasadena, I'm going to lead the church to relocate. And that little rumor all got out there. Well, that, like that's the, that's the farthest thing from the truth that's ever been told. And this is the first time. I'm, I'm almost 34 years now here. I've never even mentioned that publicly the whole time I'm here. Well, see, I knew it wasn't true. And I, you know, truth always comes out in the end. But, but what did the devil do? Now, listen to me carefully. I'll tell you exactly what he did. He found him some people. Worse than that, <laughs> they were members of the church. I do hope they were saved. And what did he do? He used those people. Those people never were my enemy. The devil is my enemy. The devil used people. And I'm just encouraging you today, number one, don't you ever be a people that the devil would use. And number two, I want to encourage you, don't get defeated by people. The war is with the devil. The war is not with people. The devil will find people to accomplish his purpose. I'll tell you another humorous one that I thought it was humorous. That one there wasn't too humorous to me. You know, all these years we've had the singing Christmas tree. Well, there have been two times in my years here that we had no minister music when it came time to do the singing Christmas tree. The first time that happened, a member of our church who was in the choir, Doyle Alexander, who's now with the Lord, but old Doyle one time said, well, I'll, I'll do the best I can. And he had music ability. And he said, I'll, I, we'll do the tree. And we did. And it was good. 
Well, the next time we had no minister of music, Doyle just came to me and said, look, I just can't do that again. I, some of you remember that. <laughs> I just can't do it again. I, I, I don't want to let you down, but I can't do it again. I said, well, I understand. I appreciate you having that. Well, listen, let me tell you the rumor that got out. You've never heard this one. You've never heard it. The devil found him some people. And now they were about half brain dead to believe this. But anyway, <laughs> the devil really likes half brain dead people anyway. And the word got out that I had sold the tree. <laughs> now, Jimmy has heard this story, that I'd sold the tree. The reason why I'm having the tree, preacher, pastor. Now, they didn't say I kept the money. They just said I sold the tree. Well, Dottie heard that. And she said, you must respond. I said, I'll never respond. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to do nothing. I said, what I'm going to do is we'll finally find, we'll just one day just give up and find somebody to come be the minister of music. That's when we got Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) And and, (laughs) they clapped me for you, brother. (laughs) And I said, then he'll put together the tree. And these people that said, I sold the tree, the tree's going to reappear. I guess they'll say then I bought the tree back. I don't know what they'll say. But now, you know, we laugh about it today, but I'm going to tell you something. Devil was having a heyday. Devil, what did he do? He found some people that he could use to accomplish his purpose. Now, I just share those little ones. The second one's maybe funnier than the first one was. But, but folks, let me tell you, I dare say you could all stand up and share some deals. Where the devil has found a person or two or three and they can get out there and he will use them. And if, see, like if we can just see what's happening, what's happening is the enemy is the devil and by reproaches, by insults and things that people can say. And then look in that verse, a second thing. It's a beautiful verse. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 33, Partly while you were made spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. Now, many of the translations translate that word as afflictions, which would be a very good translation of the word. Uh, Philipsis is the Greek word, and it refers. Now, here's, here's another way the devil, he wins if we don't understand what's happening. Philipsis means, whether it's translated tribulations or afflictions, it means, it means a tight squeeze. Or, or you might say it another way, it means a terrible pressure. In other words, you, you're going through life and something comes into your life. Something is happening. Something has happened. And at this particular time, you, you just feel like you're being, you're being kind of squeezed in. You feel like, I mean, you feel like there's just this pressure on your life. You, you call it whatever you want to. It's a real feeling. I, I, I've experienced this feeling. I understand exactly what's happening. I generally use the word overwhelmed. I just say, I just feel, I just feel like, it just feels like you, you, you almost can't even get your breath. Maybe, maybe bad news from the doctor. Maybe something you're facing whatever it may be, and you begin to have this feeling. 
It's just, it's just suffocating kind of feeling. Well, that, that is what this word, uh, this, this word really means, uh, philipsis. It, it refers to that. And, and the devil uses real things that we go through in life. I mean, they happen. They're not what we wanted to happen. They're heartbreaking. And they themselves are bad enough. But then what he does, he begins to have these thoughts go through our mind. And the next thing you know, we just, we're just almost shut down. We're almost paralyzed. I mean, what we're going through is bad enough and hard enough without the devil getting involved. But he takes things. So many times the devil, devil uses verbal things from people. Other times he uses things that happen, you know, and I'm, I, could, I could illustrate and time won't permit, but you could illustrate and don't need me to illustrate things like in our own life that have happened that just, I thought, man, and the next thing you know, you begin to just, you just begin to feel like you're just going to shut out. Well, it's the devil at work. And if we just would understand that, he uses circumstances. He uses responsibilities. He uses the pace of life that we have. He, the devil just takes all these real life things, and if we try to handle them in our flesh, if we try to handle them on our own, we're going to lose probably every single time. But bless God the Bible teaches us how not to let that happen. And I wish you'd take your bullets and I want to give you three words. There is a solution. I'm saying to you, we are blinded to what the devil is doing. Like those students over at Auburn, if, if that leadership of that university, and I guess the governor had said, uh-oh, we, we, we don't want to have a lawsuit so what we're going to do, we're just going to fold up our tent and tell the students, you can't do anything like that. Now, we can't plan it. I understand that. But folks, as Christians, we have a right to go out in the field and worship God. Can I have an amen to that? Yeah. I mean, we just don't have to cave in. And the reason we cave in is Satan is out there working, using everything he can to intimidate us, to frighten us, to pressure us, to squeeze us, to get us just to think, oh man, there's no hope whatsoever. Listen, jot these little three words down. First of all, the word understand. Understand. When you begin to have that feeling, that, that you just are, that life is just kind of putting you such a vice that you just can't move forward. Here's what you need to do. Understand when you feel that way, Satan is at work. You say, but wait a minute. This is a real life issue. The doctor said, the report says, you have cancer. Oh, that's not a good, that's not good news. Well, I mean, all kind of thoughts run through your mind. I met this past week one day with a fellow pastor that I really know at a distance, but he wanted to meet. And his wife, and I'd met with him previous, his wife, who she's a young lady, and she's going through chemotherapy. 
the first time that I met with him, his wife was just about to start going through chemotherapy. And he wanted to talk to me because my wife had been through chemotherapy. He's much younger than I am. And he said, maybe you could help me know how to help my wife through this. Maybe you could help me help myself through this. Well, I, I shared some things. Well, I was with him last Wednesday. His wife has finished five of the six treatments. Now she's about to have surgery and they were going to MD Anderson downtown Thursday. And he wanted to meet me on Wednesday. And I said, okay, and we would meet him. And he said, now I want you to help me we're going to MD Anderson downtown. We've been doing everything in League City, but we're going downtown to meet the surgeon. And he said something, it kind of blew my mind. He said, I've never been inside of MD Anderson downtown. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, prepare me for that. I said, well, I'm glad we're having this lunch. I said, I'll prepare you for it. It's going to be one of the most depressing things you've ever seen. And your wife, I'm glad we're having this today because when you go in down there, you're going to see so many people that are really physically in real trouble. And some of them, you, you, you look, I, I, I went through this. You look and you think, is this how Dottie is going to be here? I said, now you got to remember, like, some of these people were bad before they started down there, but many of them make it. Many of them get well. Dottie did. I said, but just understand before you get there how that's going to be. And, and when these thoughts start going through your mind, and it'll, they will, this is how my wife's going to wind up. I said, I'm telling you, that's the devil. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to the devil tell you doom and gloom. Just under, well, I mean, anytime you go into hospital, everybody, think of this. Everybody in MD Anderson, if you ever looked how big that, all those buildings are downtown, everybody has cancer. If you go to Methodist Hospital, uh, any of these hospitals, St. Luke's Hospital, Herman, everybody there doesn't have cancer. They're there for everything. You go to Anderson, everybody in that place has cancer. So that's what you're going to see. Don't listen to those ungodly thoughts. The devil will try to beat you on that. And I'm saying to you, understand when you feel that coming, that's the work of them. Number two, memorize. I wish you'd write this down. Memorize 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Memorize it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What I'm saying to you is when you have these, this spirit of fear come on you, fear comes from where? The devil. Fear doesn't come from God. So, and we all experience that. From time to time, we go through things, and you just, the fear, you just have a feeling of fear. All right? Remember this verse in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God's not given us spirit of fear. So where does it come from? It comes from the devil. The devil gives fear, and that's how he works. And then remember, now here's a big one, and you need to get this verse down, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Easy to remember. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in what? Folks, listen. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is greater and more powerful than the devil who's working around you. And just remember that. And 
is where we live. We're blinded to what Satan is doing. And we, you know, we think, oh, the problem is this person. The problem is that person. No, God uses people. But people are not the enemy. The enemy is the devil. And if we just remember as believers, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And you say, well, what do I do when, when I'm feeling that pressure and I feel squeezed and I just feel like the sky's falling? Ask God to help you. Just say, dear God, dear God, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And right now I'm just going through one of these, call it whatever you want to call it. I have a friend in another city in the state that used to say, I'm having a seeking spell. I thought that was as good way to say it as I've ever heard. I'm having a sinking spell. You just remember, you may be having a sinking spell, but the Holy Spirit who lives in you is not having a sinking spell. Let him be your strength. Now listen carefully. If, if you say, well, pastor, it's right in the verse. I see it. And I do, you know, I, things happen in my life and, you know, I try to positive think my way out of it. Well, I'm telling you, we need to be positive thinkers, but we need something more than positive thinkers. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit in us. And we need to understand the devil is out there with his tactics and he's using people and he uses things. The things may not be evil at all. But what he does with them, he puts all this stuff in our mind. And the next thing you know, <laughs> he shuts us down. He shuts us down. Now, if you say, well, you know what? I'm just not sure 100% that I have God living in me. Well, this morning, I'm going to, in a moment, lead in a prayer. And I'm saying to you this morning, you need God living in you. You need the Holy Spirit in you. You and I, we are no match for the devil. But we have living in us one who is victory over the devil. And if today you say, I want him in me, I want you to bow every head in this room, our heads bowed and hearts open to the Lord. Today, if you say, Pastor, what you've, what you've shown us and what you said makes sense, but I'm not sure I have God living in me. I believe in God. I've always believed there was a God. But I want to know him in a personal way. This morning, here's how you do that. This morning, if you're not sure that you're saved, if you're not 100% sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven, I'm talking about 100% sure. That's a great feeling. Greatest thing in the world is be saved. Second greatest thing in the world to me is to know you're saved. To know you're saved. You know, I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm going to heaven because I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus alone to forgive me of my sins. This morning, I encourage you to do that. It'll be the greatest feeling of peace you've ever had in all your life. You say, how do I do it? Just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins, God. I turn from them. I'm asking you to come and live inside me. Forgive me of my sins. 
make me a Christian. I trust you, Jesus, to save me. I thank you this morning that I've settled my salvation. I don't have to worry anymore about where I'm going when I die. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because not of my righteousness, but because of his righteousness.